Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jess Geyer. I am one half of One of E Games, and I am a TTRPG designer. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig. Hi, Craig. Hi, Jess. I'm Craig Campbell, and I'm uh, the whole owner of Nerdburger Games. Um, and uh, yeah, I make RPGs as well. So uh, a quick note right now, as this comes out, uh, Secrets of the Vibrant Isle is on Kickstarter right now. Woo-hoo! It's a solo game. It's a fantasy game. Uh, you uh, explore an island and make friends with people there and try to make sure that you can stay. Uh, so that's out there. Go take a look. Um, but now we're going to talk to somebody else who uh, has made some, uh, you know, done some game stuff. And that is DM Sarah. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having me. My name is Sarah. You can find me on the socials at the DM Sarah, which is fancy because DM Sarah was taken. (laughs) And I am a full-time PhD student and game master and game designer. That is truly about one third of my job. The other two thirds being my PhD. And (laughs) it's a blast. I run Game, fifth edition professionally on Roll20 for several groups. And I am also a designer. So you can find my stuff on DMs Guild, as well as on N World's Level Up project, which I was a lead designer on Kickstarter October 5th. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that will probably be that's ongoing, going right now yes. as well. That's yes. amazing. I don't know when this is going to come out, but it's coming out. This will come out on the 7th. Ooh. on the Thursday. So yeah, they're both out there. Go back them both. One, one is for uh, D&D that you can play with a bunch of friends and one is for a game that you can play by yourself. So you can do both. Do both. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. I, I have a question if, if you don't mind me asking. Um, is your PhD related to games at all? Oh, loosely. So I'm getting my PhD in communications, but I'm really interested in fan culture and fan studies. So how people take different pieces of media, whether or not they're particularly diverse or interesting, and use them to interrogate issues of race, gender, and sexuality. So I've written a little on game design for classes, um, but usually from more of a streamed game media and fan relationship perspective. Oh, that's amazing. We, our last uh, episode, we were just talking about like the parasocial relationships between games and and their consumers. So that's, that's, that's very interesting, really cool stuff. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) Well, Craig, what are we talking about today? Oh, my goodness. Today, we are talking about um, how to get a PhD in communications. (laughs) No, 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 we're not. That's good. Don't um, do it. That's what that's the advice. Don't do it. (laughs) um, We're talking about um, GMing and specifically incorporating uh, the player's character backstories, which um, I know is something that a new GM can be um, intimidated by, um, because you want to pay, you know, you want the player, you want to to pay off the player's, um, investment in kind of creating a character. And if they give you this really interesting backstory, you want to make sure that it's going to, uh, it's going to pay off for them in the game. And, um, for longtime GMs, it can be one of those things that starts to, I hate to say it, get a little tedious. Um, there can, there are cliches, shall we say, of, of player character backstories that can get used an awful lot. And it can be hard sometimes to come up with new and interesting ways um, for you to, uh, to, to pay those off and to incorporate those in games. So I thought we'd talk about that a little bit today. Um, not to say, and, and the quick, the quick uh, note that I'm going to throw out there um, for GMs to keep in mind is if you are getting like, okay, this is like the 17th uh, player who has had orphaned 
you know, their character, <laughs> their character is an orphan. They, their parents died when they were very, very young. And I know that that can get like, oh boy, what do I come up with for this time around? Keep in mind that, you know, for th that player, that might be the first time that they're playing an orphaned character. So um, try to keep that in mind. You don't necessarily have to, you know, reinvent the wheel. Like it could be easy enough to just have the, 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 the dead father turn out to not be the father and they're the villain, you know, that, like that, yeah. that happens plenty. Um, but we can talk about all sorts of different um, strategies for that sort of thing. Yeah, I think those tropes exist for a reason too. You know, we we like it in our in our young adult fantasy, particularly orphaned characters are a big deal because then you number one, that's automatic uh, motivation. Sometimes, um, if the Definitely. villain killed your dad, you know, you, I'm Inigo Montoya, everyone loves him. Classic, right? Yeah, <laughs> super classic. Um, and it cuts off all of the filial responsibilities and relationships that you might expect that character to have. Now, personally, I love it when my characters have filial responsibilities. I, I want to use their family as like their living family as motivation. Like I, I, I like to play characters that have a spouse and children and two parents and siblings. I like that because I want the, the GM to later murder one of them. I want that to happen. <laughs> Um, so, um, I, I think for me, when I give my GM a player background, it's my bait. It's my GM bait. Like here are all, look at all this, this love that my character has for the people in their lives would be a shame if something were to happen. <laughs> no, I, I love, love that you that. said that because that's, I think one of the strongest things about creating a good backstory is sometimes it's not about what you have on the page, but what isn't on the page, what is unknown or can be imperiled. That is huge as a DM. If you, but sometimes, and this is the caveat, sometimes it's tricky if, if a character has like this big loving family, it's like, oh no, well, I break my character, my player's heart, like out of game if I kill one of them off. So that's one of the things that I really appreciate right before you just put that is like, you know, there's official, you just said yes. So mm -hmm. now I'm like, well, hmm, how can I emotionally traumatize your character? Because you've given me the out of game permission and I love that. Yeah, that's important. The out of game permission because you don't want to just kill off somebody's beloved NPC, right? You don't want to just do that, and then no. they they are actually heartbroken about it. But when you get that permission, then hey, oh, goodness, <laughs> that's that's wonderful as a GM. Absolutely. So um, we talked about just now, like people providing character backgrounds. How do you solicit some of this this PC background and fluff? So for me, it really depends on the player because sometimes like there are definitely players out there who are like, ah, my backstory is that this is Jeff and he's an adventurer. Born, grew up, became yeah, an adventurer. Done. That's, that was the joke <laughs> with the and group of mine. That's fine. Born that doesn't up. necessarily mean that the player is less invested in the game or less invested in the character. It just means that they don't care where their character has been. They care about where their character is going and you can absolutely create compelling stories off of that. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, you have the people who are like, this is the entire novel that I have written about the heroic adventures of my level one player character. And it's like, so why, how are they level one? Why are they here? <laughs> this is, I've had players write me literally 4,000 words and at a certain point you've got to be like, this is more than I can feasibly do anything with. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make sense. So that's where I think that one of the pregame expectations are really important. If you have the ability to build characters together, often that's 
really nice. One of the things that I do when I run even one shots, I'm like, so how do your characters know each other? And if people are stumped, I'm like, well, did these, did you two maybe travel here together? Are you two maybe, maybe you don't actually get along, but if you're rivals who have to work together and allowing people to sort of collaborate right. on their backstory. Oh, we had the yeah. same mentor. That's hugely, hugely helpful for getting backstories that have connection and have connection to the world and they can actually be used in game because if something completely divorced from the world state, that's going to be hard to incorporate as well. And then the other piece that I really like is when you're setting those expectations, framing it exactly like you just did, Jess, of like, give me something that I can use. What are the things that you'd like to explore? Like, tell me that explicitly in our session zero, or if something comes up during games, sometimes that happens too, but tell me explicitly, like invite me to do that. And I will absolutely, like I had a, I have a character who I'm currently running a game for right now, a player I'm currently running a game for. Their character just dropped the lovely bombshell that they don't know who their father is. Oh, this is my favorite trope. <laughs> Which is a great trope, especially because they are a tiefling and we are running Descent into Avernus. Oh no. And I'm like, oh. And she's like, yeah, run with that. And I'm like, you mean it? Can I? Like that to me is... The best and that didn't come out in her backstory when we started the campaign that came out at level five when they're sort of getting to know their characters and like actually that would be a fun thing so it's not backstories aren't one and done they can ideally evolve throughout the campaign you can add interesting elements to them as you go yeah sometimes your p your pc will say something in the middle of an adventure that seems like a little one-off thing they're just like chatting and maybe they're even just being goofy and, you know, if you have that right dynamic, writing that down and using it later awesome. and they're like, oh, I forgot that I even said that. I forgot that I was, I was joking about my hammer being stolen 20 years ago. And now here he is. That's my, <laughs> and then they get like really passionate about that. I love how passionate, um, you know, players can be about the little throwaway things that they say sometimes if you make them feel important. Absolutely. And that's what Baxter is all about, yeah. right? It's making your player feel important and involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I've used um, is like, like Sarah said, like if you, if you make it clear, like if you've got something that you really want to make sure that I incorporate, like, tell me what that is, but I've used the comment. I've been like, you know, you can give me as much backstory as you want. I can't promise I will use everything, but I will try to mm -hmm. use something. Um, and then the caveat, you know, the, the, the corollary and add on to that is that and if there's something you really want me to use, make sure you make that clear to me. Um, and so you'll get you might get a, a, a background from a player that's like, here's a whole bunch of interesting little tidbits, um, but they don't specify anything has to be used. You know, like they don't they don't give me something specific that has to happen. And, you know, as a longtime GM, it can be handy. Like this is a nice thing. Like you've got other players like, well, they told you like, well, the character walks with a lamp. Oh, why does that mm -hmm. happen? Um, you know, that, that might be tied into the story. And then like, you know, the person who caused the accident <laughs> ended up injuring their leg and that's why they have a limp becomes an important character. And it, you know, that works in and that you can have the, the you know, the, the parent that's gone missing or whatever from another player. But then like, one of the things I love to do is to pick like the fourth most memorable item from their backstory and make that become Ooh. hugely important because the the player will not be surprised when they're uh you know they're they're <laughs> uh, believed to be dead parent it turns up again the player will not be dis uh, surprised when the sibling they had a falling out with turns out to be the villain um 
but they will be surprised if they happen to throw away um, a comment about this, this beloved pet. That's like, <laughs> I love that. And you find a way to take that pet's, uh, you know, pup or something and bring, and bring that into the story somewhere down the road. And they'll be like, I, and the player will say, you know, I've, and I've done this occasionally and the player will say sometimes say something like, I can't believe you took something like that and turned it into such an interesting little thing for my character. And it's become so important mm-hmm. to the character, you know, like, because it's not the big obvious. Yeah, there, there are two specific strategies I've used to solicit very specific things um, that I know that I will use or will most likely use without getting like a fully like whole character arc as a background. It's no fun to have a, have a, you know, as a GM, it's not fun for me at least to have a character at my table who has already experienced a full-fledged character arc and is a developed, mm-hmm. completely developed, their their story is done. I, I want I want some unfinished business to, to work with. So one of the things I do is I do character questionnaires um, mm-hmm. where I get some specific feedback, stuff like um, who is someone that you've lost in the past, um, which I use a lot in horror games. Cause I like to bring up ghosts and, and ghouls and, and other terrible things in my horror games or um, <clears throat> who is a rival that you have, like asking those specific questions. Um, like what's your family like? Why, why are you here? Things like getting those, like giving a specific question. So you get specific answers. Um, I've done that. And then something Sarah that you touched on too, like those inter table connections. I, almost always now do like the powered by the apocalypse style links at the table where each character goes around and chooses a link to another character. Like we share the same mentor or you're my love interest, but you don't know it. Um, or, um, we are siblings or I, I just hate your guts and I have no reason why, um, all those little things at the table. And then that helps them. I, I love, creating characters at the table for that reason too probably the same reasons that you do sarah uh because that as i'm just listening to them talk i'm taking notes on things that i can add later (laughs) yeah i've i've made complete changes to my characters campaigns before based on character backgrounds um just like oh that fits it and sometimes i i wish that there was like a clear way to explain this but sometimes it just fits in like a missing puzzle piece into your campaign like oh my gosh that's perfect for what I'm doing. That's a good mo like, and then that becomes like the whole arc of a, of a session or even a whole campaign. Um, it, it just, it just clicks and works um, that way. So getting a lot of that feedback from your characters, from your players, I should say. Absolutely. And like, the more I can link it, because often I have like a sense of the story, but sometimes it'll be like, well, that's like the thematic resonances are really mm-hmm. good. And they don't, come out necessarily when you start the campaign yeah which to me is one of the lovely things like I might like I have my session notes where I'm like oh yeah this is where I think this is going to go and then a player will throw something in and I'm like actually where I guess we're exploring this Mm -hmm. that's great like I love that I love that so much I think that's what a good backstory can do is really like you can discover thematic resonances within your story that work for everyone from one character's backstory Oh yeah. I've had that happen with uh, PCs of mine where I had a character who uh, it was in a horror game and her power was that she could read people's thoughts and change their memories. 
Um, but the problem was she wasn't sure if that was like a real thing that was happening to her or if she was maybe losing touch um, with her with her own mental faculties. And her character arc, as along with some of the campaign, became this idea of what is what is truth and what is reality. And I loved how that fit in um, with what was going on. And, and it made me feel much more invested in the story, knowing that my own personal character arc was also thematic. Um, and, and that was that was great. I like that one a lot. Oh, yeah, that's great, especially for horror. That's such a cool mm-hmm. theme to, to bring out and explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tough theme to explore sometimes. Like, we always yeah. say this, like oh, talk yes. to your players, talk to your players, make sure everyone's on board with what you're with what you're talking about. But I really enjoyed um, kind of wrestling with these ideas. Like maybe this is all just in my mind. That's ironic for a tabletop game. <laughs> you're right. You're exactly right. <laughs> oh boy. Um, one of the things, uh, another thing that I really like to do. Um, and it, it's one of those, you can't do it too often or it starts to become kind of hacky. Um, it starts to become like too much, you know, but uh, is if you've got a group of players um, that kind of like know you, you've played with them for a little while, they trust you. Um, and, you know, if the game allows for that sort of thing, you're not really surprised, you know, you're not springing something on them completely, but you can go like go really far afield. Like go way out there if you can. Um, occasionally, it will it will blow players' minds when you suddenly uh, uh, reveal something that was like a big big thing. Like I would I ran a caper uh, my, a game I designed capers, um, which is super powered gangsters in the twenties. Um, and in the game, um, there in in the, the the last chapter of the game there because it's super's game, it talks about alternate worlds. Um, so super powered, you know, worlds where there are super powered people, but it's all a little different. And I had a player who made the mistake, um, or the, the, or the, you know, incredibly, uh, had the incredibly great idea to say that my, you know, my character grew up in a small town, moved to Chicago, um, doesn't remember much about their life in the small town. They like, like they've made conscious efforts to put it all behind them and they just kind of let it all fade into memory and everything. And so, a third or half of the way through the campaign, I revealed that they were from an alternate oh. world. Um, but I started by ha- at one point, the characters, um, they had to uh, flee Chicago because, you know, gangsters on the run is fun. And so they went to his childhood home and I took him to the childhood home. And then I described, you know, all, all the things from his childhood, their memories come flooding back and everything. But you could have sworn that closet door swung the other way. Um, and you know, but it just a little thing here and there. And, um, that, uh, that player had seen, and I don't want to give something away in the TV show, but he had seen the TV show that I was basing mm. this off of. And he was like, am I, is, am I playing this character from the TV show? Is he, is he about to do that to me? Um, and it was several episodes more when he learned that like he, his character had mind powers, he could affect other people's minds. He had witnessed something. He had witnessed a hit, fled from the hitman, didn't want to remember it because it was terrible. So he accidentally altered his own mind to forget everything and then was found by a woman who could travel between worlds. And she saved his life by bringing him Uh. to this world and became his new mother figure. And so this NPC who was they all worked for at the speakeasy, who was like the first NPC I introduced, turned out to be the person that saved him from this other world where he was being hunted and... 
because I, I had players again that trusted me and the game, they all knew the game book and they knew that alternate reality, alternate worlds were in the game book. And we didn't, I didn't tell them it was a game that was going to bounce between alternate universes or anything like that. I just introduced it at one point and it, it created, you know, a really interesting bit where they found themselves wondering if, well, do we want to flee this world and go to the other world? And they find out the other world, there's like, oh, there's really terrible things <laughs> yeah. happening there. <laughs> That's so fun. And, and, things that, and things that they had planned to do in this world were like, if it went poorly, it would end up doing things like these horrible things that were in the alternate world. And like, there was moral quandaries that came out of it. And it was all because a player left their backstory kind of open with just a few little tidbits that I was able to just take as far afield as I could. I, yeah, I, I love, I love when someone says run with it. And I like to, I like to have my GMs run with my backstory too. Cause I like to be surprised. I've had a character who had a parasite inside of her body um, that she com- communicated with in a, in a certain way, but she felt, she felt very protective of. And I was like, I don't know where it came from and I don't know what it does. Good luck. <laughs> oh, love that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that that trust building with your GM, it's it's great when you have a GM that you've played with for a long time or you have pl- players that you've jammed for for a long time and they will trust you with those things because that's when you can have a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. I introduced a player to one campaign as the party had been arrested and she was their parole officer. And I knew like I that. <laughs> if it wasn't for the fact that I had a well-established rapport with but the group, but especially with this one player who'd been in one of my previous campaigns, like that's asking a lot of a player to have this like kind of adversarial role with the rest of the party and then do the like spike in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, fine. I guess I'm friends <laughs> with you guys. Like that's asking a lot. But, oh my <laughs> God, the payoff was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, when it when it pays off, it pays off so, so and it mostly it almost always does. I, I I personally haven't encountered a time where I've incorporated some character backgrounds or or like played with something, um, and it hasn't had a good payoff in terms of player investment into the story, because uh, that that's what people like feeling like a hero. They like feeling like their character really matters in a story. Uh, now now Sarah, you mentioned that you were playing a specific campaign, um, like like a basically a set campaign but you were still incorporating um character backgrounds into it how do you manage um when you when you're playing a story that you aren't necessarily you didn't necessarily write um and that flows a certain way how do you balance that with including your character's backgrounds yeah so as the the nature of pro jamming is that i do run a lot of pre-made modules because people have heard about the latest was the coast release they want to play through it Mm -hmm. I run that. That's fine. But that doesn't mean that there's not space within these modules and they're all porous to different degrees. So there's different allowances depending on how tight the module is. Like Mm -hmm. I had significant issues running Tomb of Annihilation because as written, it starts on the Sword Coast and they immediately get ported to Chultz and it's like, well, you just just sever all my plot threads. Like, why would you... (laughs) So you got to scrap some things immediately off the bat in that one. That's just my general opinion of that module. But something like Mad Mange, which is just a dungeon crawl, very broad, very open, you've got a lot more freedom. So some of the specific things that I do, I look at different antagonists and particularly different antagonizing factions, because it is often very, very easy to slip 
a relevant person from someone's backstory into one of those factions. They're already fairly nebulous organizations that have a lot of members. Now there's another one. Oh, whoops, that's dead. That's awkward. Great, we're done. We're there, right? (laughs) (laughs) Other elements can come through, like a really cool way that I've done is through specifically like character-specific items that you can then link to the story. So like anytime you have a genre of story that allows for sentient objects, so sentient weapons, AI, whatever you really want, that's a great place to put it in because now it's not a DMPC, it's a magic weapon, that's great. That's so fun. But what if the personality inside it is actually... (laughs) Suddenly you have so many more avenues. Uh, What else have I done to really great effect? Oh, the other thing I really like to do, and this is mostly just a little silly, but because I play with groups that have some overlap, but not full overlap, but we all share a Discord server. So it's very possible for me to be like, oh yeah, this character from a previous campaign, does that maybe have any connection to your current character and you end up with kind of almost multi-generational storylines and storylines that cross through different worlds and I try to keep those to a bare minimum so people feel like their canon is their canon but people are really really invested in a backstory if their backstory has a relationship to a character they've already played or if it's one of those unknowns I can't reveal what I'm going to do because it hasn't happened yet in game and I want my players finding out (laughs) but you can link in things. And even if the players never played together, the person who was a commonality between those games can be like, you what? And just, yeah, that's a very fun way to do that as well. <laughs> that only works for very specific group situations where you're running multiple groups simultaneously and there's some overlap. But I'm excited. It's going to be a great payoff. <laughs> I think, uh, uh, you, and you mentioned this too, like asking specific questions of your characters, getting permission, um looking at certain parts of backgrounds and saying like hey what do you think if I go with this direction go this direction with this thing um like balancing that though without giving away those important plot beats oh so Um, hard I want to tell people but I can't I know like (laughs) like hey the, the best way to do that like okay someone doesn't know who their dad is hey is it okay if I take take this in a direction that I want and then, or, or is there a place that you don't want this to go? Um, and that way you can take it in a direction that you might want it to go, but not in a direction that that player doesn't want it to go. Um, so framing, framing those questions around that way. But I, I really, I, I appreciate that you are incorporating PC backgrounds into those set adventures. Tomb of Annihilation though, I don't know how you can do that. Cause not only are you severing a lot of plot hooks, but you're severing a lot of limbs and and character lives there's also that um that did happen no i for that module in particular because everyone's used to sword coast and then it's not sword coast and that's great i'm like really trying to encourage people like Mm -hmm. don't play play someone from where you're adventuring in just because the themes in that one particularly like it gets very like weird white savory if you have a bunch of right it's just it's just a nicky and you can, you're not going to solve every problem with that module by just sending people in Chult, but like people fight better to defend their actual homeland than they do for a bunch of strangers that they've never mm. met. And that's just way better. Like, oh, you can go visit one of my players is married and their wife is off in the mountains. You can go visit them. 
yeah. that is investment now suddenly that character wants to save the world mm -hmm. because they live there yeah uh, family relationships great motivations place relationships great motivations i think even right now if someone said like yeah your hometown jess it's being under it's under attack by aliens from neptune i'd be like well i guess i'm gotta go and help. Yeah. or even better <laughs> you feel conflicted maybe you didn't like your hometown very much but you know that oh it's my job to go save the world from aliens but I have really complicated feelings about my hometown, actually. Well, <laughs> yeah. ooh, are we exploring that now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. As as a GM, like really pay attention to those things that motivate your characters, that that motivate people in general. Like human, regular human motivations are character motivations because your the characters are played by humans. Um, even if that character is like a strange cat person from <laughs> outer space. Neptune. Neptune. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to use Neptune again, but it was on my mind. Well, the cat people from Neptune are invading. <laughs> they're just, they're just going to show up in your hometown and knock stuff off the tables. Oh, no. no one's China's <laughs> safe. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Dark Jess, sorry. <laughs> That's too funny to me. I, I just really love the, the nefarious plan of the cat people being <laughs> nothing on the surfaces. <laughs> And also, I'm going to scratch your couch. <laughs> yeah, no elevated surface is safe from us. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I, I love this topic. I love, I love, um, I, I love being the GM who can make those connections, and I, and I love being the player whose connections are are made. That's that's so great. Um, I want to acknowledge that there is, like you talked about how it's, you haven't really had it ha backfire. I've had it like fall flat like a couple of times, just out of sheer number, but I feel like that risk is always worth taking. And especially like, like, I feel like that's just kind of like part of being friends with people and having relationships yeah. with people is sometimes it's going to be risky. There's no two ways about it when you're taking someone's story and you're like, I'm going to incorporate this into my story and you may or may not like what I've done, there is risk there. And it's, it's you got to yeah. acknowledge that, but I think it's a risk worth taking. And it's a risk, very human risk to take. It's the same as jokes. You know, they're not all going to yep. be gems. <laughs> <laughs> not everybody's going to laugh. The player's not always going to tear up yeah. <laughs> when you incorporate this thing. You know, like they, you, you might have misread like this. You thought this was very, very important to them and it wasn't that important to them. It, it, it happens. And if, if that's the case, you, you move on and. Yeah. Yeah. Try again. <laughs> try to get them next time. I, I do want to say one last thing on this topic, because not, not only does Craig have this this game out on Kickstarter, but I am thinking about <laughs> games where you are also jamming for yourself. So when I play tested Secrets of the Vibrant Isle, the first time I played it, like I had, I, I gave myself a character background. Um, so this is a game, it's a solo game. And one of the things I did with my characters was I journaled with each step of my adventure. Um, and I gave my, my character the, this motivation of wanting to figure out where her pirate mother ended up going and exploring this island. And the way things kept playing out um, and, and just continuing to try to connect myself thematically into the game made this a very rich experience for me. So I tried it out with a very fully fledged kind of character background and motivation. And then the second time I played through it, I gave myself much less, like my motivation was like, just like, I'm going to explore. Um, but even then, because we, we always, as, as 
as people who like stories, we always want to find the stories and find the themes, we find the patterns. And even just with that little mild background, um, it's just like very basic stuff, I was able to start making stronger character connections. And I, I think that as either a player or as a GM, whether you have a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes or you just want to be, I grew up and became an adventurer, there, there are, um, you are going to find the connections. They, they will be there for you as a GM. You don't really have to look too deep. It's not, um, it's not a super intense fact find mission. It is just something that is, it is going to happen for you. So if you're a new GM and you're worried about including all of that, um, just know that it's, it's, it's a It'll thing happen. that people do. It'll happen. It'll be there. It'll be there. <laughs> well, yeah, Craig, um, I think, this is also something as, as designers, as, as game designers, figure out how are you going to open up those avenues for players and GMs to in- incorporate like particularly character relationships in your games. So um, let, let's, let's flip over, let's flip the script here um, from the design standpoint. How are we encouraging character relationships as a game designer? Oh, boy. Well, I think uh, you hit on it a little bit early with uh, the comment you made about like, you know, some PBTA games where they there's like it's built into um, some of the games of defining for your character, like what is your relationship like with this other character or with this character? Who do you have influence over? Who has influence over you? And then there's mechanics that are built around that where you can spend a point or give up your influence to get a character to do something or to give them some sort of a benefit or fix something for yourself or whatever it might be. There's a lot of different ways to do it. And it becomes very thematic. It it often has to be, I think, come out of like what the, you know, when it comes to character relationship and background kind of stuff, unless the game is specifically about how my character relates to your character. Like if the game is about this adventure kind of thing or this genre thing, um, the, the, there's like, we've talked about before, there's what, what's the game about? And then what, what is the game really about? Um, And so, you know, even though you're running around, you know, slaying uh, vampires, you know, uh, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it's really about um, dealing with the, the trials and tribulations of high school. Um, and the, the types of people that you run into the, the adults and the different types of students and friends and enemies and everything that you run into. So you can develop relationship, you can, you can develop, uh, relationship mechanics that play off of those themes. And it's a question of, I think, defining the theme, you know, what, what's the theme like in the game? Um, I mean, I haven't done a lot of it in my games. It's usually in pieces, but I've done, you know, specific things where you've got, um, like in good strong hands, there's um, there's a, a, a talent that a character can have where you you pick another character to be um, like your not so much love interest, but like your paramour or someone that you f- have strong feelings towards, someone that's kind of very important to you. Um, and you you have so you have this bond with them, and you the two of you can spend you can exchange um, spirit, which is a, a currency in the game that you can spend on different things. You can exchange spirit with them as long as they can hear you. So the idea is like, you're enforcing the idea of like, I can give you a pep talk. And because we have this special bond with each other, I can give you a point of spirit, which you can then use to spend on making your role better. Um, 
And that becomes a mechanical thing that encourages a relationship to play out. And you can do that, um, you know, broadly across games and have every, you know, like I could have that ability be something that anybody could have, right. In a game, if, if that's how the mechanic is set up, or it can be something that's kind of geared toward like, well, this character type develops those bonds more readily. Um, and so it's more, it's more solid in a mechanical sense because this particular character type, you know, latches onto that sort of thing more readily yeah i i've i've seen a lot of games that do use they 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 leverage character relationships either between pcs or between pcs and npcs as um like in in social combat um they can be used as armor or even weapons um with uh, in certain games uh that that's that's an interesting way to not force character relationships, but to to incorporate them mechanically. Um, so if like if I'm trying to convince this like as as in Clockwork Dominion um, is the game particularly I'm thinking about in social combat there, um, I can um, if I am a PC, I can be convinced of things because <clears throat> that's how their social combat works. You'd be convinced or intimidated or something happens like you, you as a, as a consequence of a social combat. Um, but if let's say they're trying to convince me to burn down my hometown, but my grandma lives there and my grandma I, is like on my, my list of affinities there, I can use my grandma as a shield against that social attack. Like, no, my grandma lives there. Absolutely not. You, you're going to have to have a really, really good reason for me to burn down my hometown that my grandma lives in. Um, so that that's an interesting way to play with it as well as um, using because a lot of the focus on character relationships in, in games that I play in games that I've read um, is within the character creation itself. And then not so much throughout the rest of play, but there is, there are a lot of avenues that you can open up at the, the end of session where you're leveling up characters and gaining new skills by leveraging those character relationships. So um, if you were a game designer that really wanted to focus on character relationships, you could make, as a requirement to get a certain amount of XP points, okay, what what relationships have you developed, or like what what connections have you made to other players or, or characters, or um, what had during during the actual session? Is there something that somebody taught you? What skill did you learn from that? Um, I'm playing with some of those ideas in um, the game that I'm about to play test um, as of when we're recording here on September 26th. Um, uh, so like all of these um, ideas of what are you learning from the other people at the table and the other people in this world that is going to improve your character um, could be another avenue to explore as game designers that I haven't seen too much of, but I'm sure exists out there. It's a big enough industry that everything, oh yeah, probably <laughs> exists somewhere out there. But I really wanted to highlight that piece about genre because different genres have different genre oh, yeah. expectations around this piece. So, and mechanics, I'd argue, inform genre really, really heavily. Like you can say that, you know, your game is going to be a very like peaceful Hayao Miyazaki-esque story world that you're creating. But if you've got really advanced, like detailed combat mechanics, that's not necessarily gonna be the story that comes out. I would argue it's pretty unlikely in fact that that's the story that comes out. Wait, you didn't you didn't see when uh, 
in, in Howl's Moving Castle, the, the intense <laughs> sword fighting and... <laughs> It's just not, it doesn't, there's an inherent mismatch and that doesn't mean it can't be hacked to make it work or that groups who really love that will make it work, but it's tricky. So you've got to make sure that whatever the feel is that you're going for, the mechanics are holding it up. And the more detailed your mechanics are, the more you're going to zoom in on that part of play because people like feeling like they've mastered a system. They like feeling like the choices that they're making are good choices that are supported by the rules that are going to give them benefits. And as game designers, our goal is usually fun. Not always. Some games, the goal is, you know, thinking about this thing differently, but usually fun. We want people to have fun at our table. Mm -hmm. And I think where people run into issues is when these dynamics that people like and the dynamics that you have to be good at to be good at the game, to feel like you have mastery of the system, and the dynamics that are fun are not in the same place. That's where you end up with slippage and either genre confusion or just people who are kind of like, this is annoying. This feels grindy. This feels crunchy. This feels not very fleshed out, whatever it is. Yeah. I, I think that that's one thing that I have liked a lot about D&D 5e is that character backgrounds are informing your skill choices, which make it seem more important as opposed to previous editions of D&D um, mm -hmm. where, you know, your, your background didn't matter that much. It's all about the, like your AC and your HP and, and how hard you can swing. Well, you made it, you, you made up a background to your character and your skills didn't right. have to mm -hmm. reflect that. Which exactly. Necessarily. So I mean, I think that that is exactly yeah. like Sarah, I agree with you 100% about that. Where you're focusing on your mechanics is where people are going to find the importance and just shamelessly talk about level up because I can't. Uh, one of the things that we did for that, because <laughs> level up is completely compatible with fifth edition, but we want to be able to expand things, basically create a, an edition that does more things without having to go out and buy all new adventures or an all new monster manual or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we did was we broke up your character's background into for different elements. So you have your heritage, which is just your like your genetics. Are you a dwarf? Great. But then you also have your culture and your background and they're not necessarily the same things or congruent with your uh, heritage. So you have that whole level of complexity and then you have your destiny, which is where are you going? What is the thing that you're trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. And that, one that links, going back to backgrounds, links you to future play as part of your background, but also because we put so much emphasis on this part in mechanical support, well, now that says that's important, right? That matters. And there's tangible game benefits to mastering that. Yeah, I, I like the, the where you're going as informing things. Um, there was, I don't remember who was talking about it, but someone came out with a game where you're basically, or is coming out with a game. I wish I could be more detailed about this so I could actually plug what they're doing, but you are playing young adult novel characters. Ooh. So the genre is young adult novel. And, it, and in young adult novels, especially young adult fantasy, there are tropes and story beats that happen. Um, and this game incorporates those. So I was thinking like, okay, if I were to do this game, how would I like manage that? Um, like you, maybe you could 
as you hit that point in your character's arc, there's something on your character sheet or your playbook or whatever you're working with that you can mark off. And then that unlocks some skills or things that can happen and so on and so forth. And maybe they're even branching ones that I, I love. I love the, the prospect of your actual character's journey is going to change your character in a specific way. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like narrative driven stuff. So that's really uh, that's a really great, kind of interesting design space to go into, which is basically, you know, milestones for the character where you're not necessarily just saying, okay, well, my character levels up and I, you know, I pick these things or whatever, but like whatever you're, you, you hit a milestone and it says like, well, my character, my character and your character just became best friends. Yeah. And in the game, that means something. Um, or my character and your character um, have developed a friendly rivalry. Um, and so that can mean something in the game and that like every, and, and you build it into the game in such a way that everybody's going to, that there's, you know, like everybody has a, like have the milestones out there, have them in the game, have a whole bunch of different ones. And everybody kind of has their goal of what they're going to go after so that you can work toward that thing. And when you get there, then you get that little thing. And it's not just, oh, my character can do something cool. Like that has this extra ability or whatever, but it's literally tied to the relationship. Um, that I've developed with with other PCs, or even you could do it with NPCs. Yeah, yeah. it's the moment in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World when Scott learns how to self, like he learns the power of self respect. <laughs> uh, I I always thought it was I like I love the concept of things like burning wheel where like what you're actually training and trying to do impact what's going on. I just feel like that's a little bit too crunchy. I don't want to read like. A, several pages on one skill you know what i'm saying i'm not mm -hmm. not to not to like trash some talk people do, but some people but do yeah <laughs> i love the concept in practice i don't think i could do it um but i always found it really weird like yes i've defeated this monster and now suddenly i know how to sneak attack like i want to know how did this come about how did that happen yeah yeah and as a as a player i will do this because that's what i want to do but it's not there aren't like i'm winging it essentially it's not laid out there in my book, if you're a game designer and you want to encourage that, as Sarah said, put it in the you mechanics. Put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> and I also want to highlight that when we're talking about these things that like they can change, or they can be achieved during play. Well, part of that means that maybe your destiny isn't what your destiny was that you thought all along. And so having that freedom to change even what your goal is, especially I would argue if there's a mechanical benefit to it because people and people have to choose it early that can lead people to feeling kind of locked in and bored of their character but if there's a way that you know after this significant event maybe their goal was revenge but after a really touching interaction with another character that was in the same situation they're like well actually i don't know if that fits well that's amazingly powerful sometimes not achieving that destiny or that goal or that story beat and dealing with the ramifications mm -hmm. of that can be just as impactful as achieving it. Mm -hmm. And I find myself thinking too, like we've talked about milestones, but what if, what if, uh, you know, you have like these significant impact changes to the characters that aren't milestones that aren't tied to milestones. So it's not going to happen at a certain time. It might, you know, it's one of those things that you can work it into the game. It might create a little bit of asymmetry, amongst the character group where you have certain characters that have kind of started to do certain things and other characters haven't. Um, and, and this is just an example of something that I'm working on right now. I'm basically designing like this little small scale thing that um, is effectively Muppets the <laughs> RPG. 
Um, <laughs> um, and it's, it's instilled with all sorts of wonderful Muppety goodness about like doing very, very Muppety things, but also doing very um, kind of friendship and feelings kind of oriented things. And like, so in a games, in a, in a scene, if there's a character or two that are making checks, there's like a, a typical, you know, traditional kind of dice check where you're making a check to see how the scene goes to see if you succeed at doing something or if there's some sort of an impediment that pops up. Um, characters can be doing that, but the other people, everybody has to do something. And so the other characters can, for example, so let's say uh, my Muppet character is encouraging Sarah's Muppets character because Sarah's the one who's making a check about the scene and what's happening in the scene where um, like in the game, if I have a die in encouraging my friend, which is an ability Aww. in the game, um, I give you the die. I literally give you my die. It's now gone off my character sheet. Um, and you'll be able to then make your check with that die. And when you place that die back onto your character sheet, you can put it where you want to. And later you'll be able to use one of these dice and give it to somebody else. So like, it's literally you're sharing because it's Muppets and you should be sharing. Sharing is good. Um, so like it, it, and it could, it could realistically create characters that like, you know, all of a sudden my character has like a lot yep. of dice <laughs> um, and your characters don't have as many. Um, but if you're all working together and, and everything too, like now, well, now I've got a lot of dice that I can give like to other that. people. And so like, you could have, you could have like big changes to characters. Um, I mean, it's it, it, in the game, it's like the secondary mechanic. It's like, you know, making the roles to see how you do is the first, is the primary mechanic, but then sharing the dice around is, um, like the number two mechanic in the game. Um, so you can do some really kind of out there things that will like, will change the dynamic of how the game is being played, how the player is interacting with their character, what their character is capable of doing, um, even in a session to session or scene to scene kind of situation, if if the game style and what the game is really about. Um, Absolutely, I did that uh, with- Focuses that on that. Because a Muppet game a Muppet game is about going on a Muppet adventure, but what the game is really about is having a found family and helping. Uh, that is something similar <laughs> with epic level, epic boons in fifth edition, because I had a group hit 20 with like a decent chunk of story left to go. And so I was like, all right, well, we will do an epic boon each, but you're not going to track experience. It's when you achieve something that's really, really salient to your character. That's when you're there going you to get your epic boon. So that means that not everyone's going to get it at the same time, but you will all get it before the climax of the story. Again, you have to rely on that trust because they don't know when it's coming. But it was great. I had one character who'd been trying to find a secret door with a trigger word, and she knew it was a secret door somewhere in the dungeon of the Mad Mage. She did not know where. And this out of character, every single new room, she's saying the trigger word. You gotta <laughs> reward that, you know. Yeah, eventually. eventually. Yeah, and then when it pays, and when it pays off, it's even. Oh. I mean, that's a better payoff than oh, I've reached yeah, seventh level. It's better payoff instead of. Like, oh, it's like cool treasure. I, I kept at this thing. I kept at this thing. I kept yeah. on it. You know, I, I, I paid my dues. So of course that was going to be when, <laughs> kept trying. when she found the room. Yeah. It didn't just contain a magic item, but she also got her epic boon, yeah. which was great. <laughs> or another Excellent. character, like power friendshiped their way into their epic boon. It was great. I love the idea of someone like kicking open a door in a dungeon and then screaming avocado or something. <laughs> Zunderbrock. <laughs> Play Mad Mage, you're listening to this, you might know what I'm talking about. Sunderbrock. <laughs> yeah, I, I anytime as as a game designer, anytime you are encouraging the players to interact with another player, 
outside of the table is also like not outside the table but like outside of the game itself like out of character you are you are still encouraging the characters at that point to interact as well mm-hmm. anytime you have a mechanic where you are helping like someone else on their role that is a, that is an opportunity for some role play and as a game designer too if you really want to encourage this write it down for yes. like in the narrator's guide or the gm's guide or whatever and in the player's guide like hey when this happens do this like talk about it at the table put it down in writing and that will encourage them and then trust trust your players trust the people who are going to pick up your game and play it that to do it (laughs) yeah to do it if you explain the theme and you explain the things like this is how a story is probably going to go this is how a session is probably going to go they will do the things trust them to do it um i think a lot of game designers get caught up in the fact that like yeah well unless it's not mechanically resolved they're not going to do it but no, players want to role play. That's why they're playing the role playing game. And and they will. They will if you give them, you know, the opportunity and the it. tools. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I am obsessed with Muppet game right now. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> a lot of questions about Muppet game. <laughs> like I I want it, I, Craig, is there going to be a move where your Muppet can randomly flail their arms and scream because there should be <laughs> that's my favorite Muppet move. <laughs> um well it's 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 in develop it's in development, but that could easily be a um uh there's um there you can have a catchphrase you can have a catchphrase and you can also have a shtick. Oh. Um so a catchphrase is a thing you say and a shtick is a thing you do that's like your thing. So like Kermit's shtick is <laughs> you know, with his hands arms in the air. <laughs> oh my god that sounds amazing yeah i want to play the the oh. non-muppet character in the movie <laughs> yeah this like single human <laughs> very put out by all these other muppets <laughs> i love that idea craig that's wonderful but yeah um i'm coming away with a bunch of game design ideas now i'm gonna write down things where yes <laughs> But yeah, this this has been a lot of fun. Do we have anything else we want to add on m- encouraging character relationships as a game designer or Muppets or Muppets? <laughs> <laughs> who's your favorite? Who's your favorite Muppet? Uh, I actually find them very uncanny valley and creepy. So I'm not a Muppet person at all, <laughs> but I love the like conceptual things you're discussing. So I'm like very torn of like I don't want them to actually be Muppets. I don't like puppets, but. I love the idea of sharing dice and like that found family dynamic. <laughs> so there's some conflict happening over here, but I don't have a favorite Muppet. Okay. As a kid, Miss Piggy was always my favorite. Always. <laughs> I loved her and her dramatics. Um, oh my God. My, my, my favorite Muppet has changed over the years. Um, rewatching some um, of the Muppet show on Disney Plus a while back uh, reinforced me how much I love Animal. Animal's great. Um, <laughs> um and uh like the absolute best thing that animal animal does on the muppet show i and i will i will die on this hill the best thing is he he does is in the dancing sequence where they have everybody ballroom dancing and he's dancing with somebody going <laughs> <laughs> and then he tips the woman and just drops her to the ground and picks her back up it's stupid it's incredibly stupid and animal does so many other wonderful things um of the of the newer muppets i love pepe the prawn because he's uh, he's suave. <laughs> okay. He's suave. Okay. <laughs> so there is a short story I've taught once. Um, I'm an English teacher. And uh, 
we, I usually do a unit on artificial intelligence with my students, my, my 10th grade students. And there is a Muppet based short story that deals with artificial intelligence. It's called (laughs) Tomorrow is Waiting. It's by Holly Mincer and you can read it in Strange Horizons. Uh, And it is about, I don't want to give away the ending because I would encourage, it's very short. It's very sweet. um, And it's one of those rare stories about artificial intelligence that is positive. But um, the story is that uh, this student is tasked of creating a basic AI, but it accidentally creates a very realistic AI that brings Kermit the Frog to life. And it is a wonderful story about found family and, and all of that. It's great. And that will be my plug for the end of this episode. <laughs> Love it. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. This thank has you been so a blast. much for having yeah. me. This has been so much fun. And I have so many good ideas too now. It's going to be a poaching and mixing and remixing. Oh, yeah. I steal so many ideas. Right. So just, yeah. It's not stealing, it's, it's a remix. A remix. It's homage. Where can we find you? And, and what things do you have to plug, Sarah? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on Twitter at the underscore DM underscore Sarah with an H. So that's not obvious on podcasts. And I am a professional DM. So if you're looking to play some fifth edition or potentially something else at part as part of a group with your friends, where you don't have a DM or your DM's tired for a birthday party, for a corporate development event. Those are all things that I do and I would love to do for you. And then the other big thing that I want to plug is Level Up 5th Edition, which is an entirely backwards compatible, but also entirely standalone system that you can run all your 5th Edition adventures with, but which was produced with a really awesome, super diverse, super talented team of designers that is going to be on Kickstarter when this comes out, which is terrifying because that's so soon. So you should definitely go ahead and check it out. It's got a great team of people working on it. And I'm really, really excited for people to start seeing it and seeing what we've done. Amazing. That's awesome. Uh, And that's called Level Up. It's on Kickstarter. Go find it. And uh, yeah, and I'm uh, Craig Campbell. Um, I've got a game on Kickstarter as well. It's not going to fund nearly as high as Level Up. (laughs) But I hope a lot of people will, will, will check it out and enjoy it. Um, it's called Secrets of the Vibrant Isle, and it's a solo fantasy RPG about exploring an island and making a bunch of friends, um, and also finding finding some cool magic and doing all sorts of other neat things. Um, and I'm at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter, and you can go to uh, the website is nerdburgergames.com. If you want to buy games, I would first check the Kickstarter because there are add-ons where you can get some of the stuff cheaper. Um, so that would be a, a better deal than going to the other places where the games exist. Yeah, I, I, I would, pers- if you like solo games or you like exploration games, I would recommend that. Ge- I, I, I'm very stoked about that game. I'm stoked about um, that Kickstarter. I'm stoked about your Kickstarter too, Sarah. <laughs> um, I'm mostly just terrified about my Kickstarter at this point. I say my, I worked on it. I was kick- involved with it, but it's not mine. Kickstarters but. are always terrifying. This is my first one. <laughs> yeah, a little I'm bit. stressed. <laughs> well, I don't have anything on Kickstarter right now, I don't think. Uh, but... <laughs> I don't think, think. So. you're not sure. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, but you can find me at Twitter at, at Josco, or you can find my games at wannabegames.com. There were links there. And uh, thank you all for listening. And we will see you back here next time. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.
Hey everybody, it's Jess again. I just wanted to make sure that I'm giving proper credit to the song that we used in our opening and closing. That was Avil by Steph Sachs, which was licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks, Steph Sachs.